How many of you are good journalers? As a, as a spiritual discipline, you journal. Uh, anybody? Yeah, see, that's a few. I was, I was at best a sporadic journaler. I still am a sporadic journaler. I, I started uh, in college, you know, but we, we journal to kind of track our, our uh, journey with the Lord. Um, well, about five years ago, I decided to read back through all my journals. And as I did, I laughed at some of my insights. I, I grimaced at others. Uh, there are a few pages I tore out uh, to keep as they marked significant uh, events in my walk with the Lord. But overall, after rereading over 35 years, I was appalled with a theme that kept popping up. In fact, I was so disgusted by it that I ended up burning all my journals. And it was this theme of living as an outsider with God. I mean, year after year, I'd write about, God, I know you love me, but I, I felt this distance. I could never be certain that I was fully welcome such that I could truly enjoy his favor. I mean, there would be this line that just was all over these 35 years of writing. It went something like, Lord, I just want to know your love. As if it was always out of reach. Rather than receiving it, resting in it, rejoicing in it. Hebrews makes one of the most jaw-dropping claims in the New Testament that the sacrifices of the temple in Jerusalem are useless. And the words of Hebrews are obsolete, growing old, about to vanish. Jesus and his once-for-all sacrifice is now the only sacrifice acceptable to God. And with it, the way into God's presence is wide open. We are no longer outsiders, but beloved insiders. Well, this is what Hebrews chapters, really about halfway through chapter 7, but 8, 9, and 10, have just been driving home. We've been looking at this, and we come now today to the final statement of this. Turn with, in, with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We all hate it when we are denied access. You know, you're trying to log in uh, uh, to you know, something on the internet and you know, some account you have, but access denied. You know, password doesn't match our records. Or you want into a building and the door is locked and you don't have a key. I mean, we, we hate being denied access. Well, for all of Israel's history at the temple, this was the reality. Access denied, that is, into the Holy of Holies, God's presence. 
And to reinforce this message, barriers were put up everywhere. Uh, the Gentiles had a barrier. They had a large court, but there was a barrier that they were not to trespass beyond. Uh, it's like they had to stay outside. You know, They couldn't even come in the fellowship hall, <laughs> much less the chapel here. Well, that barrier in the Gentiles' court, there's actually a sign posted all, all over it uh, at random places. Uh, and the sign basically said this, that you Gentiles have yourselves to blame for your ensuing death if you go past this barrier. Boy, that's a welcome, welcome sign, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> the women had barriers. They could stay, they go into the court of the women, but no further. The men could go a little further in, but a barrier there, do not transgress. The priests could go further in. They could, they could walk around the outside of, of the temple, but they couldn't go in the door unless they were chosen by lot. And they would get that, that chosen lot would fall to them. Perhaps once in their lifetime, they could go inside the holy place and then they could never go in again. And no one could go in the holy of holies outside of the priest the high priest, and he could only go in once a year and for a very brief amount of time. Stay out. Access denied. This was the constant message of the temple. And of course, sin was the issue. Sin corrupts. It defiles our very nature. And sin is what separates us from God. But Jesus, look at the change he brings. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since, okay, since, not, not if, if you get your act together, but therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, see, we may come confidently before God, and our confidence is not in ourselves, is it? Us having proved anything to God. It's Jesus and his blood. The better blood than the, the blood, the, the rivers of blood that had been shed by all those sacrifices. Because the blood of bulls and goats does not take away the stain and barrier of sin. But Jesus' blood does. And so we may enter God's presence with confidence. But also, verse 20, by the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, uh, you remember he, uh, we, we speak of the seven words of Christ from the cross, but the last few, um, my God, my God, where, why have you forsaken me? And, and it is finished. And then he yields up his spirit to God. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Those are the final words of Christ. But when he lifts up, yields his spirit to the Lord and dies, what happens? Well, over at the temple, Matthew 27, 51 records for us that the curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. It was ripped down. It wasn't, it wasn't taken down, folded, and stored for another day. It was ripped down the middle. That is a God act. But what was really going on there at the temple, Hebrews 10, 20 records for us that by the torn curtain of Jesus' flesh, his death, God has torn down the barrier and removed it between us and him. And so we may now enter his presence with confidence. Can you in your mind's eye imagine yourself entering with confidence 
into the very presence of God? I mean, this, this is mind-boggling to us. I, I think uh, if, if we can even begin to picture that, we probably think of ourselves as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Remember Dorothy? She, the Cowardly Lion, Scarecrow, and Tin Man, they come in before the great fiery head Oz. And, uh, and what are they doing? I mean, they're shaking in their, their shoes. They're terrified. The Cowardly Lion's so afraid, he runs down the hall and jumps out a window. We are not invited to come in fearful terror, but in confidence. And confidence is not cowboy uh, brashness. It is full of humility and reverence. But there's a certainty to it. That we belong here. Because Jesus Christ has opened the way. Verse 20 speaks of a new and living way. You know, the animals that died in those sacrifices at the temple, they all stayed dead. But not Jesus. He died and rose again, and he is the new living way because he always lives to make intercession for us. And he is right now at the Father's right hand to say, Father, this, this is one of mine. And how does the Father respond? Well, look at you. Come in. You are welcome here. Verse 21 says, Jesus is a great priest over the house of God. A few years ago, Portia and I were invited by Ann Ashley to attend a concert at the Biltmore Estate. Ann was, at the time, one of the senior VPs at Biltmore. And when we got there, I'll never forget, there, was, there were hundreds of people in this long line to get into the concert venue. And Ann just walked right to the front with us. <laughs> and we were waved through. Um, we walked through doors that were closed and locked, off limits to other concert goers, but not to us. Now, if Portia and I had tried that on our own, we would have been arrested. <laughs> but Ann got us in. Well, how much more Jesus? He's over the house of God. He can enter any room he wants. And in him, so can we. We are not outsiders. We are not strangers or suspicious characters. But those the Father delights in to call his own. Jesus is the game changer. So will we believe this, rest in this, live out of this? And what might it look like to live out of this? Well, notice the three commands that follow. And in a way, really, they're invitations. Draw near, hold fast, stir up. And these show us really how to live in light of, of what Christ has done for us. First, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, no, it's drawing near in faith, in full assurance of faith. And faith is not something we gin up in ourselves, you know, a feeling or, you know, energy. Faith simply is seeing what God sees and believing to be true what God believes to be true about us. And, and what, is, what does God see? What does he believe to be true about us? It's this, that our relationship with him is no longer defined by our sin, but by Jesus Christ. In him, in Christ, we are forgiven and accepted. And so drawing near by faith believes that. And that shapes our, our very life, even our identity. 
Yeah, but what about my sin? I keep messing up. Doesn't that do something to God's opinion of me? No, it does not. I mean, sin is serious. But if for a moment we think that it puts us back outside, consigns us to the court of the Gentiles having to do better before we can get back in, we have not understood Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. I mean, God does not pull a card out of his sleeve, go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect 200. There is nothing like that. What Jesus has done is so decisive. We, uh, we read last week, and uh, the verse just before the passage I read, chapter 10, verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, that is of sin, there's no longer any offering for sin. In other words, what's that saying? What that is saying is there's nothing more to offer to have to offer, and there's nothing that could be offered. Jesus Christ is it. Now, God may discipline us for our sin, and we're going to actually come to that when we get to Hebrews chapter 12. Those he loves, he disciplines, but it's because he's treating us like children, not outsiders. We We have in Jesus a very different starting place, a reality, even when we've messed up, we may draw near and live in the confidence of God's love that he's for us. He is not against us. Many of you know Rick King, uh, owner of We Haul Dumpsters uh, in Black Mountain. And I love Rick's story of his, kind of his real conversion um, to the gospel. Uh, he, he does about finally getting it. And uh, you know, because of sin, we've all flunked life. We've all gotten a big F. Jesus is the only one who passed. He got an A. But his A is applied to us. Well, when Rick understood this, the righteousness of Jesus Christ was, was now his, and he was completely forgiven and fully accepted by God. Rick drove down, I think he drove down Montreat Road with the window of his vehicle open, shouting out, I got an A! I got an A! I got an A! <laughs> and so he did. And so did you in Christ. This doesn't make sin disappear from our lives. We still battle sin but from an entirely different place, from inside, not outside with God. And again, God doesn't throw us outside until we get better sin management in our lives. When we sin and we all do, what do we do? We, We come inside. We are insiders with God and we come, Father, I know you love me. I know this is beneath you. It is beneath who you've made me to be in Jesus. I confess this to you. I repent, forgive me. And work in me to overcome this. Battle sin, but from within, by taking your stand in the love and presence of the Father. Starting there is going to give you a very different perspective and even power for overcoming sin. In Jesus, you got an A. In Jesus, you are accepted forever. In Jesus, you have the love of the Father. He has sprinkled your heart clean from an evil conscience. He has washed your body with pure water. That's your starting place. And even in repentance, now with with how God views you, confess your sins. 
full assurance of faith. Believe to be true of you what God believes to be true of you in Christ. A second command slash invitation, that is a second way that we live out of what Jesus has done for us, uh, is verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What are you hoping for these days? We all have hopes, and and hopes are, by nature, future-focused. We don't hope for what we have. We hope for what we don't have. Um, And so we might hope for a better tomorrow, a better year ahead, uh, better circumstances. We hope it doesn't rain on our vacation. Uh, We hope we don't get sick for Christmas. We all have hopes. But the thing with hopes in this life, this world, is that... uh, We have no power. We have no control, no guarantee to bring about anything that we hope for. I hope I don't get sick over Christmas, but how can I guarantee that? I hope for a better year next year, but I'm not in control of circumstances. We can't guarantee anything. And so this makes worldly hopes basically nothing more than strong wishes. But how different biblical hope is. Look at verse 23 again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, the surety of our hope is not in us. If only we hope hard enough. No, it's it's in the Lord. It's anchored in, in God who is faithful. So biblical hope is looking at God's character, and it's unwavering because we're convinced what God promises, he delivers. I mean, who can stop him? He has all power, all control, all sovereignty over life. He is the guarantee of everything he promises. And what has God promised? Well, there's a lot of things he's promised, a lot of promises still in front of us, but uh, the author of Hebrews has been dropping some hints uh, along the way of, of the big promise of God, and it is the second coming of Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 28, he will appear a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Chapter 10, verse 25, the passage we read, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. A little bit further in chapter 10, verse 37, yet in a little while, the coming one will come. You know, hope is is nothing more than looking forward to what God is looking forward to and to what he's promised. And we're confident God's going to bring it about because he's faithful. God's looking forward to the day when he brings us all home. He's looking forward to the day when sin and every vestige of it is gone. The day that he puts everything to rights in us and in this world. The day we walk in in the the visible, full-on goodness of the love of God. The day Jesus Christ is manifested to the world as its rightful Lord and King. God is looking forward to a lot of wonderful things. And we are people of hope looking forward to those things in him, anchored to to God who's faithful and will bring them about. And so we're people with a future. We have an amazing future. And knowing this, this future guaranteed by God himself is what then makes us resilient in this life now. I mean, knowing the outcome, we can endure and stick, stick it out through really difficult things. These followers of Jesus here uh, the, that the 
author of Hebrews is writing to, I mean, they were beginning to take heat for their faith. And he's encouraging their hope. Why? Because if they, if they hope in God and are locked in on God's faithfulness, then they're going to be able to hang on no matter what they face in life or in death. On Friday, I went over to see Mark Vandergalian at the VA hospital. Um, Mark has Parkinson's disease, but he's also, he was telling me he's got um, Lewy body dementia. I'd never heard of that. Lewy body dementia. And uh, LBD causes Mark to at times just blank out. Um, he sees things. I mean, trash cans might move across the room as you're talking with him. He's watching it. And of course, it, he might misstep because he sees something and then it's not there or he sees something in the way. And so it's, it's a it's really awful thing that he's got. Um, and the doctors say this form of dementia uh, can progress rapidly so that you have just a few months to live. Or it can be slow developing and you have years. So Mark's telling me this and then he looks at me and he says, you know, I know I have an expiration date on me somewhere. God knows what it is, and I'm okay with that because I know where I'll be when that day comes. And then we just talked about heaven. But as I, as I talk with Mark, I, I said, Mark, you are a man of tremendous peace about all this. And it was really, it was markedly uh, evident, the peace uh, of, of Mark Vandergalian. Well, the reason, you know, the uncertainty of dementia, uh, uh, peace in the face of death. The, the reason is because he's a man of hope, hope in God. He knows God is faithful and, and will bring him home. When? He's not sure. But that, God will, he's positive. See, this is the power of hope. Fixed on God's faithfulness, that every promise in Christ is yes and amen. Wow, that anchors us in this life, in the storms that we face. Living in light of Jesus' finished work gives us the invitation to draw near to God and to live there. It's the invitation to hold on to our hope because God is faithful. But the final thing that the author of Hebrews says that uh, uh, the work of Christ has, has done for us is to enable us to stir up love. With one another. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, notice the context here uh, for where we stir one another up, and it's the community of God's people. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I'm sure you're very glad you came to church today. <laughs> Christian community is really, it is at the heart, uh, at its heart, it, it's a gift of God that he expects us to receive and, and to live out of. Because it's in community where we experience together drawing near by faith in Jesus. We come near in worship. I mean, we're right now worshiping, as it were, from within the Holy of Holies. And we are fully accepted by, by the living God. That's the place we're worshiping. The community of Christ is, is where we sharpen our vision uh, of, of our hope in God so we can hold on in the rough places of life. 
And our gathering in Christ is where we encourage one another to love and good works. And, and the encouragement, this is what we need. To see and believe the love of God for us in Jesus and then stir one another up in that, to trust that, to believe that love, and then to live out of it. In our homes, our, our schools, our businesses. The ups and downs of life. Now, I suppose a person does not have to go to church to be a Christian. He doesn't have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if he does not, he's going to have a very poor relationship. Martin Luther said of the gathering together, the the physical gathering of God's people, at home in my own house there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church when the multitude is gathered, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. Well, that fire is God's love. His love for us in Jesus. And we need one another to, to fully experience that love. And God's love for us, that's then what we just stir up in one another. Believe the love of God for you in Christ. Let it work in you. And then we turn each other loose, you know, to go love a world with the love with which we've been loved with. And so to draw back from community really is to cheat ourselves of God's good gifts. And it's to short-circuit the development of our faith, hope, and love. Well, here we are at the end of Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. And these chapters in the book, I mean, they really are like a Mount Everest here. And we've, we've scaled it and we've come back down, so now what? Well, the question simply is this. Where are you going to live? Where are you going to live before God? Where are you living right now as you think of of God? Are you an outsider? Wishing you were better, more acceptable? Or have you come in with humble confidence that Jesus Christ has made the mess you are and that I am clean and acceptable? Therefore, verse 19... Therefore, that's like God draws a line in the sand. And God is calling us to step across the line and to live from a very different place, totally different place, from within the Holy of Holies, within God's complete acceptance and affection for us. It's not a matter of feelings. If we wait till we feel accepted, we'll never cross that line. We'll never step over. Don't look at yourself and how you feel. Look at him, Jesus. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus, my brother and my sister, step over. Step over and step in. Draw near By faith, hold on to hope, stir up one another in love, but come in, never to leave. We are welcome in his presence. Amen.